Hi, everybody. Uh, today is August 4th, 2022, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Viral Conversation. Uh, we're doing our series of coronavirus conversations, a uh, never-ending topic, uh, unfortunately, for uh, the world. Uh, we're enjoying it. Um, I think probably it you know, should have had its peak uh, a couple of years ago, but people still find permutations and ramifications, and uh, perhaps they uh, enjoy kind of being in the, the, the forefront of the news. Um, I, I'm, I'm really honored uh, at, to present uh, a, a distinguished guest today, uh, Dr. Russell Blaylock, who's a neurosurgeon in uh, Canton, uh, Mississippi. I believe he's retired. He's also um, editor of certain uh, branch um, uh, subject matter academic journals, and he's going to be able to describe those better than I. Um, I brought him on the show because, uh, in a sense, he's a profile in courage. Uh, he uh, writes really wonderfully. He writes has a clear a voice, which I'm sure you'll hear as he speaks, and I'm going to stop speaking so you can hear him do that. Um, but just before I do that, I just want to mention he has a couple of articles out that are very interesting formulations and, and overviews of what has happened uh, with COVID-19 and our responses to it. So without uh, further ado, um, Dr. Blaylock, uh, would you like to, to how, how much did I get wrong in my introduction, first of all? No, you're right on target, <laughs> right on target. Uh, I do uh, research, uh, what I call theoretical neuroscience research. And what I do, I'm looking into mechanism of neurological diseases and also a, a deal with cancer. And I've written a number of uh, uh, articles on uh, cancer as well as uh, neurological problems. And I'm an editor-in-chief of uh, Surgical Neurology International Journal uh, in two sections. One is neuroinflammatory disorders and the other is neuropsychiatry. But uh, that's what I do with my what little spare time I have since I've retired from neurosurgery. So neurosurgery, COVID-19, uh, you know, that the intersection, not necessarily obvious. Um, where, did, where does Russell Blaylock come into the conversation and how did you enter the conversation and what part um, did you play and, and how has it played out? Well, uh, I've done research in vaccines uh, for a very long period of time, working uh, primarily in the field of autism uh, 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 and the spectrum disorders associated with autism. So I've done a, a lot of writing in that area in, in uh, peer-reviewed journals and worked out the mechanism by which uh, this is occurring. So that this, this is a field of... Uh, the vaccine brain uh, injury relationship that I'm quite familiar with is where well as some of the things that's in the adjuvants of vaccine. Uh, so when the, this vaccine came out, I researched uh, messenger RNA type uh, technology and familiarized myself with all of the different things that were involved with it. And uh, I started really reading some of Dr. Malone's material uh, of the mechanism, and of course, uh, you know, being that um, I'm kind of a, a bridge between uh, what Dr. Malone talks about uh, on an immunological basis, as well as the pathophysiological of how that affects the brain and the rest of the body. Uh, that's that's what I'm doing. What what does this new technology do actually, and why is it dangerous? Why should it be stopped? So. That's a that's a lot to, to parse. Um, the I'd like to kind of go backwards a little bit. Uh, so you're talking about autism, 
um, and vaccines. Now, uh, that's, that in itself has always been a kind of a, a powder keg of an issue. And um, where, where does medicine stand uh, regarding those thoughts? Are, are you saying that vaccines in general uh, present an autism risk, like pre-COVID-19 vaccines? We're talking about the standard panoply of childhood vaccines. Are you uh, a recommendor or opposed to uh, routine vaccinations? I mean, how, how does this kind of play in? Well, you know, for the longest, we, we had difficulty proving our point that uh, the vaccines, because of the number of them that were being given, particularly early in life, were causing neurodevelopmental problems. That is, the brain was not developing properly uh, and that this had a lifelong effect. Uh, now that's pretty well proven. So some of our early suppositions now are well proven. And, and uh, we know that it, the more vaccines you give, the closer together, other in, uh, early in life are going to produce autism. And now we know also uh, schizophrenia if given during, during the third trimester of pregnancy. Uh, I think it's a better way to protect the public. Uh, we, we know now uh, nutritionally, you can stimulate uh, the immune system, particularly the innate immune system, uh, to protect you against almost all viruses. And, you know, I'm 76 years old, almost 77, and I don't take any medications. And uh, the only uh, thing I take to stimulate my immunity is some uh, natural compounds. Uh, I never get the flu. Uh, I, I never had the COVID. I've never had, I don't get these things. I don't cold. Uh, and my wife doesn't either. My father, my mother never took a flu vaccine. They never took any vaccines. Uh, and the studies now clearly show, and when they compared uh, vaccinated and unvaccinated children, the unvaccinated children are by far healthier in all spectrum. The vaccinated children, the more they get, more of these vaccines they receive, the uh, more they have autoimmune diseases, asthma and, and psoriasis and uh, type 1 diabetes. They're having a number of, of uh, long-term health consequences because it's the way you're stimulating the immune system. And until recently, no one even recognized that it's a Th2 type stimulation by all vaccines. Uh, which is not uh, stimulating your innate immune system. It's actually suppressing your immunity, putting you in well, higher risk. For the audience, what's TH2? Well, we know that the, the immune system has a, a, a what we call TH1, TH2 uh, type uh, helper uh, T cells. And the purpose of that is if you want to kill a virus or a bacteria or something invading your body, it's your TH1. It's, is the most important if you're going to stimulate something. And what does the TH stand for? It's a T cell helper. Okay. So, and uh, the TH2 is sort of dampening that, is that it, it tends to suppress uh, the immune reaction and mainly uh, raises antibody levels. Well, unfortunately, uh, they've convinced most of the, the public and most physicians that you want to stimulate antibodies, but these are non-neutralizing antibodies. And they actually increase your risk of, of becoming infected and dying from an infection. How so? And that's what we call uh, antibody-dependent enhancement. Right, well, ADE, I've heard of that. In regard actually to uh, coronavirus vaccines in the interregnum, the, the, the time between um, 2003 SARS uh, which was be COVID-1 and 
2019-20 SARS-CoV-2 COVID. Um, There were papers on vaccines that, that, you know, there was no vaccine produced for the original SARS, despite the long lead time, you know, 16 years between those episodes. And there were episodes uh, apparently seen of AD antibody uh, dependent enhancement uh, with um, attempts at doing a COVID um, original SARS vaccine. Are you familiar with those studies? That's, that's, that's correct. And what they found is the people who had the vaccine for SARS-CoV-1, uh, if they were exposed to the virus again, they're much more likely to die or have a severe reaction. The unvaccinated did far better. And we see the same thing with the MERS. Uh, we saw it with uh, the H1N1 vaccine. The same thing happened. It's people who were vaccinated. Uh, if they were exposed to the H1N1 virus, they had a much worse outcome than the unvaccinated. And mm. so as if we've uh, learned more about this, we call it immune imprinting. No, I, uh, I appreciate that. I, I'm going to, you know, I, I would love to see some of the things you're talking about, um, you know, in print and, and be able to kind of judge it. You know, my, my general impression, I'm pro-vaccine. Uh, I've taken the flu shot every year. So, you know, I, I'm also kind of minimal on the medications. I, I don't take pills for colds and, um, you know, I don't take anti-inflammatory when I have a muscle ache. I, I kind of stay away and let the body heal itself and try to avoid things that hurt and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I'm, I'm 66, so I'm relatively healthy for that age. I'm still out playing tennis, as I was mentioning before. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I take the flu. I In practice, I would take the uh, for my primary care medical practice, I would take the influenza vaccine every year because uh, one time I didn't and I got a really bad flu and I was going to I would see people with influenza over and over and over again. Uh, maybe I'm not sure whether in neurosurgery you have the kind of the same, you know, person to person contact. But I, I'm like, you know, people are coughing. They come to me because they're sick. And, um, you know, so I, I, I found, I think, relative benefit in getting the flu shot yearly. Um, and, and the question I would have for you is, um, you know, the, the, the Spanish flu we hear about in 1918 uh, was devastating. And it was it cut across um, age groups to a far greater extent than, than SARS-1 or SARS-2, COVID-19 you know, COVID did. And, you know, there were far more people of younger cohort um, at a higher mortality rate than anything we've seen for, for a similarly naive vaccine, naive population in 2020. Um, do you, but but the, the actual influenza virus of of that year, which I think was emanated from China originally also, um, I think was seen again, I forget whether it was the Hong Kong uh, flu in 1958, or one of these years came along, and we had had a vaccine by then, and we didn't see the same devastation from Spanish flu that we saw in a vaccinated population. Um, do you think that, you know, I mean, leaving aside Dr. Blaylock and Dr. Bach as, you know, kind of maybe slightly anomalous, healthy guys and so forth, um, do you think on a population uh, level that um, we would do better not vaccinated for flu. I mean, is that something you would uh, recommend, especially given you know some of the devastation we saw pre-vaccine uh, uh, era? Yeah, when we look at the the data, and the, the CDC even had this during the influenza uh, seasonal influenza, was that people who were obese, who smoked, who had uh, comorbid diseases, were the ones that were being hospitalized, that were dying. And that young, healthy people didn't have a problem. If you had a bad flu, it usually meant there's something wrong <clears throat> with your diet and your immune system. It's not that it's a particularly virulent virus necessarily. 
Uh, the studies on the on the effect, uh, the efficiency of this vaccine is about 16% for the flu vaccine. So it's not very effective for small children, four years and less. It's effectiveness is zero. Uh, they did a, a 30 year study on the effectiveness of the vaccine to prevent uh, the main reasons they tell elderly to take the vaccine. That is hospitalizations, death and pneumonia. And over 30 years with increasing use of the vaccine, they found there was no benefit whatsoever. So for the reasons you're taking it, that's to prevent hospitalizations and pneumonia and death. It had no effectiveness uh, in this 30 year study. And I repeated a, a similar study and found the same thing. So, uh, and they also found that people who took the uh, flu vaccine repeatedly year after year, uh, for the next two years after that, uh, risk of developing pneumonia and uh, uh, serious pneumonia. So uh, all of this goes along with what we're finding with this immune imprinting is that uh, the vaccine, vaccine process, uh, with the, particularly with the adjuvants, that's what's causing the problem is the adjuvant. Uh, and the adjuvants of aluminum and uh, previously mercury, and there's still some mercury in some of the flu vaccine, uh, but that accumulates in the brain, accumulates in the heart and various tissues. And it's a long-term pro-inflammatory response from these, these metals that are locked into the mitochondria and the microglia and the, and the macrophage cells. So now we have a pretty good mechanism as we know why if you keep taking these vaccines. And I've seen a lot of neurological disorders. <clears throat> My parents never took a flu vaccine. My wife's parents never took one. And they never had a bad flu in their life. But uh, they didn't do a lot of things that the general public does. That will weaken your immune system. Yeah. That's the problem. So, so you're saying they stayed fit. They weren't smoking. They weren't drinking. That kind and, of thing. And their diet was proper. Fair I mean, enough. there's a lot of dietary things that are powerful immune suppressants. That people don't know about. When you say dietarily, uh, how so? What 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 do you? For instance, about? the, the omega six fats, uh, corn oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil. These oils are immune suppressing, particularly when they're oxidized. Uh, we know that a deficiency in magnesium, a deficiency in zinc, a deficiency in vitamin C, all raises your your susceptibility to these infections because it weakens the immune system. Immune system is highly dependent on these nutrients. Because when you get infected, your body has to produce billions of white blood cells. It has uh, to produce this uh, cell reproduction at a very high rate, which requires a, a high intake of nutrients. And we look at people who do this, who follow these diets, who take these uh, uh, oral immune stimulants. They don't get sick very often. Hmm. Uh, well, I, I'm going to have a, I, you know, I... I I'm skeptical about that because I, I, it's hard to, you know, trade anecdote for data. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm on a personal basis. I, I think I, you know, philosophically align with some of the things you're saying. Not, I don't do any supplements. I don't do any add additions to my diet. Frankly, you know, I don't really pay that much attention to my dietary intake per se. I mean, I watch what I eat so it doesn't spill on my shirt. <laughs> you know, and I watch what I eat. So, so, so the dog doesn't get it. Um, but, you know, I, I think that I, I don't put that much stock into, you know, food types per se. I think food is fuel. Um, it's, it's a blessing. We have enough to live on, uh, you know, even worse than, you know, having uh, McDonald's is starvation. Um, 
and and so I, I think that there are nutrients that we get, and we're very good at you know kind of um, I guess uh, accumulating those from the diet we need, and and so too can other animals. Raccoons, you know, don't need dietary supplements, and and giraffes and zebras and so forth. They don't have a GNC store to go to. So I think animals have acclimated to their diets and vice versa in a sense. Um, you know, we we have this thing where we are superannuated. We live far longer than all the other animals in the jungle and the forests and all that kind of stuff because we have civilization. So, you know, we, we have a, you know, a, a happy solution to so much of, of life's disorders, you know, hypothermia, hyperthermia, um, you know, starvation, thirst and all kind of stuff because we have civilization. We figured out a, an answer to almost everything. But, you know, now we live longer. So now we have all these kind of secondary disease of degeneration and whatnot because we're not supposed to live forever either. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of, you know, have a hard time with that. I, I, I think, you know, it, it would be shocking to me and surprising to see that vaccines across the board are antithetical to the, you know, general purpose of health reduction. So I'm a little bit skeptical on that. So I'm going to ask you after we're done uh, to maybe, you know, put some articles up so people can see those and uh, you can make your case. Um, but I'd, I'd actually like to segue a little bit into uh, the COVID um, article you wrote, um, which I guess got kind of a, a, a big a splash. Uh, I mean, you're, you're welcome to rebut. First of all, you're welcome to rebut anything I've said just now before you segue. Uh, so I don't want to cut you off. Um, but if you're interested in segueing, um, uh, moving on to the, the COVID bit, um, you had an article. Maybe you could describe what it was about, what your basic thesis is. Uh, people can obviously read it. <laughs> but if you maybe could give the a high level summary um, and talk about the reception and and the ramifications, the repercussions, so forth. I'd like to hear that. Well, just to basically rebut what you said about the nutrition, this is something I've spent the past 30 years studying. There's a tremendous amount of literature, scientific literature, powerful literature. Uh, I have uh, had people that I know were devastated by the virus uh, that uh, recommended they put, uh, put themselves on these things and had rapid uh, improvement and recovery. And the scientific evidence is very powerful, very powerful. It's not anecdotal. Uh, you know, the things that you've said are something that we thought uh, maybe 30, 40 years ago, there wasn't a lot of hard science. There's enormous amounts of science on all of these nutritional things. It, it's a very rapidly expanding field. Uh, and it goes into some very deep cell signaling uh, processes and mechanisms and uh, that's far, far beyond that. And our diet, the American diet, is probably the most unhealthy diet in the world. And these things have a profound effect on immune uh, uh, resistance to disease. It's not minor, it's major. Uh, we, I, we know that the vaccines don't react very well. For instance, you're zinc deficient. The mortality... No, I, have, I have heard that. It's proven. I mean, yep. they did that in Africa. But just well, to, to the article, you know, yeah. No, I'm going to give one slight rebuttal to your rebuttal, <clears throat> which is that you know, insofar as we always hear the U.S. diet is you know deficient and bad, so you know, I, I've, I'm working on a separate book on on cancer. It's kind of an overview. It's kind of a dummies, you know, cancer 101, uh, dummies kind of guide to cancer, um, which sounds silly, uh, but I, I, I think it's an interesting book. Um, it's, it's there to kind of not make cancer, not put a happy face on cancer, but 
um, to talk about the different types of cancers. And, and again, in a sense, how it's a disease of success, as I was mentioning before, you know, back ancestrally, uh, our ancient cultures, you know, we didn't have worries about cancer because everyone lived to, you know, 25 or 27 or so forth. So a lot of what we see today is, you know, the success of living longer, and we are going to die from something that happens, you know, be cancer when you've eliminated all of the, um, you know, war, pestilence, um, disease, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, but, but my point I was going to get to is that, you know, life expectancy uh, has been increasing across the board. Uh, I think Africa lags uh, for a variety of reasons, poverty, um, probably predominant. Um, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the diets are varied uh, highly, you know, from Japan to uh, India to, um, you know, Spain to Argentina and so forth. But, but pretty much life expectancy is, is nearly identical in all of the developed world. And I think this points probably to the fact that the larger, uh, you know, kind of motivator and, 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 and an engine towards longevity is, you know, basically all the creature comforts. You know, we have a better sewage system. We're not, you know, self-infecting with cholera, um, you know, from our drinking water and so forth. Uh, you know, as, as society has moved to the flush toilet, uh, to better water systems, uh, you know, education, um, you know, homes, uh, you know, we, we don't have as, as many people kind of washed away in floods and all that kind of stuff. Uh, people live longer. And, and so that, but again, it's across the board and the diet in Japan is not the same as the diet in China. It's not the same as the diet in uh, Kazakhstan, which not, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and yet, you know, longevity has massively increased by decades across the board around the world. And again, Africa as well is increasing, but they're a little bit lagging behind. Well, you know, part of that is, is, is an illusion we're here. And I used to believe this, that people, they, they would say, oh, well, people, you know, and and the 1500s only lived to be 35 years of age. Well, that's not true. They lived as long as we do now. What was killing them was infectious diseases. And like you say, the, the thing that had to do with public health. Public health changed that. So more people were able to reach that, that uh, longevity level. But what we're seeing now is that people are starting to reverse this. They're starting to die sooner. Uh, there's an article out of uh, England which shows that the Neurological diseases is exploding. Uh, we're seeing a dramatic increase in these diseases. So we're undergoing a reversal now, and most of it is because of the food supply, uh, the processed foods. Uh, when we compare diets in these areas, the book Blue Zones, but if you read Blue Zone book, what he did is it was a study to see why do certain people in the world uh, live at such a high uh, rate uh, in their 90s and 100s. And the Blue Zone found that there were certain dietary things that were characteristic of these people. That's, that's why they were living longer. Uh, for instance, we know that people, the Intuits that uh, uh, live in Alaska and, and the northern uh, polar areas, uh, they never get autoimmune diseases. Uh, but if they move here and they con uh, consume our diet, they get autoimmune diseases just like we do. Uh, so the, the diet can make profound uh, differences. Now, autoimmune well, disease is exploding in this country. Yeah, but there, there are. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of a skeptic kind of guy, so I apologize. And uh, you know, some of those things can also be societal, and it also could be a matter of testing. You know, if, if the Inuit community up in uh, you know North Alaska or Yukon, whatever, you know, they're not necessarily testing for lupus. They got more things on their plate. I had a a post on my Facebook the other day um, 
looking at um, Tanzania, or unless it's Tanzania, <laughs> based on pronunciation, but I always call it Tanzania, um, versus Italy. They have nearly the identical population, 60 million, six zero, 60 million people. And there have been, you know, effectively, like, essentially zero COVID deaths in Tanzania and, you know, X hundreds of thousands in um, Italy. And number of cases, you know, minuscule. I mean, it, it, you know, does the virus not know how to infect people in Africa or do they just not test or not care because they've got many other worse problems like, you know, feeding the people, uh, getting to work and so forth. They don't necessarily have the time. There was an episode, I think, in medical school, uh, I forget who the professor, but um, he was talking about back pain. And he said, uh, this is go, goes back, you know, the prehistoric era when I was in medical school, uh, at least <laughs> before the personal computer, at the very least. Anyway, um, he said, you know, in certain parts of, of Africa at the time, they did not really have a, 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 a medical terminology for back pain because there was no there was no way of collecting. People didn't have disability payments. They didn't have out of work notes. Uh, people were working and they were working at subsistence level. And if you had back pain, it's like, OK, well, whatever, you know, have a rash Whatever. you still go to work because otherwise you're going to starve. So it, didn't, it was kind of a, a distinction without a difference. It didn't make any difference in your day one way. So they didn't really categorize um, or, you know, uh, uh, back pain to the same extent that we've, you know, kind of parsed it down to this type and that type. So they didn't really have the issues. And the same thing, you know, I, I kind of wonder whether that exists with the kind of near zero numbers of, of, of COVID-19. And certainly it's not been in the news about any part of sub-Saharan Africa, um, you know, to a certain extent, South Africa, which is the, I guess, the wealthiest part of South, you know, Southern Africa, um, even still, um, you know, after the, you know, some amount of decline. But um, I, I guess I do have a point here, uh, which is that, you know, things can change. You know, if you take your Inuit from, you know, Alaska and then they are living longer and or they're getting tested more, uh, they might find more lupus or something like that. Uh, and it may not be a, something that happens in a more subsistence uh, level existence, just like COVID-19 is not really seen in sub-Saharan Africa. That was my point. <laughs> Well, that's that's not true because this this was uh, careful record taking uh, in in the Intuit in these areas, and when they move here and assume our diet, they begin to get immune uh, autoimmune diseases just like we do. We see the same thing with Japanese that consume a lot of uh, fish, omega three fatty acids. When they come here and assume our diet, they gain these. They develop heart disease at much higher rates than in the countries where they stick to their diet. This has been shown consistently all over the world in various countries. This is okay. this so, scientific studies that carefully follow this. And I, 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 I buy into, I buy into the, the, you know, part of what you're saying there, but I'm not sure it's diet so much as, as obesity. So, you know, the, the net result, you know, if you're carrying around a, a BMI of 30, 35 or something like that, and you have a lot of extra padding, um, <clears throat> I think almost everything you're saying is going to be reasonably, you know, accurate. But I'm not sure it necessarily matters the the food you ingested to get overweight. Um, so an overweight uh, Latino might have eaten a lot of, uh, you know, I don't want to get into cultural tropes here, but a lot of, you know, Latino food. And the Japanese uh, to get overweight here, uh, you know, whatever. So so they might have eaten different things, but but you know, at that obese level of you know BMI 35 for you know 35 years. Uh, they're going to have similar uh, results. They're going to both get diabetes. They're going to both get, you know, cholesterol issues or end heart so forth. 
um, I, I think that the, 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 pretty much it's the carrying of the weight, not so much, uh, you know, my own feeling medically is that it's the, it's the kind of persistent overload of the system. You're overloading your pancreas, you're overloading this, that, um, that's going to bring on the diabetes and all these other secondary problems. But I'm not sure as we look around the world again, with everyone's kind of all the tides rising up, um, and everyone's kind of, you know, reaching greater longevity, whether in Argentina leaving a lot of meat or Japan eating a lot of fish or India eating, eating you know, neither fish nor meat uh, to the same extent. You know, I think an obese Indian, you know, equal sign, uh, obese Japanese equal sign, obese uh, Argentine and wherever they happen to bite, you know, be as far as health. Well, that's not what the studies show. The studies show that uh, you can be obese, but if you're consuming a healthy diet, your likelihood of dying of heart attack and stroke and cancer and these various diseases is far lower than someone who's obese who has a horrible diet, uh, eating a lot of uh, high fructose corn soap containing foods, a lot of things with uh, processed foods. All right. uh, your health is well, I- much worse. You're going to have a high incidence of insulin resistance, uh, higher uh, incidence of hypertension. In fact, even the experts in hypertension admit we could cure most cases of hypertension by diet alone. Their response when they asked about it, well, why don't you do it? Well, people just won't. So they know dietary. Right. Well, I'm, 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 I'm willing to be you know, stood corrected on this. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, for my own primary care practice, you know, I, I had people not, you know, change their diet, but change their weight. And, and you know, dropping the pounds kind of, uh, made their diabetes uh, and blood pressure numbers better. But again, so I think we could go back and forth on this a little bit. I'm going to uh, ask you to, you know, forward me um, sort to attach this, uh, some of the articles you're talking about, and maybe we can have a little um, uh, uh, back and forth on that on the comment page. So let, let's, let's finally, finally segue if we can um, to the COVID, your, your kind of COVID article and, and uh, what was your basic, um, uh, premise. What, what did you cover, and, and what happened? Well, basically, it was is trying to cover the whole thing of what's what's been going on since this started. Uh, and the first paragraph of the article talks about this is probably the most manipulated, uh, uh, controlled uh, epidemic, uh, pandemic uh, ever in the history of, of the world. Uh, we've never seen anything like this. The scope of this. Uh, that we're inundated with lies from people that are supposed to be positions of authority. For instance, we're talking about uh, people who uh, are supposed to be the experts in infectious diseases in the CDC, and, and the, uh, the FDA is supposed to approve these things. And, and what we have discovered consistently is that these people are lying repeatedly we're having things now done in medicine that's never been done in the history of the world. I mean, it's a, it's a standard of medicine. That if you're going to treat an infection and be successful, you treat it as early as possible. That's your best chance of preventing a severe complication and, and death from the infection. For the first time in the history of the world, we've had them say, well, don't treat it early. Just stay at home, take Tylenol, drink water, and then if you uh, become severely short of breath, come to the hospital. And if you worsen, we'll put you in the ICU and put you on a respirator. Well, uh, early treatment uh, that was finally offered, uh, such as hydroxychloroquine and, and uh, ivermectin, when it came about, 
what we saw was that the, the death rate and, and the need for hospitalization fell precipitously. Now, this wasn't just a few studies. This was in numerous countries all over the world, Latin American countries, uh, Asian countries, uh, uh, European countries. Everybody who adopted this policy saw an immediate uh, fall in cases that needed to be hospitalized or end up in the intensive care unit, and the death rates began to fall. Uh, well, there was an immediate attack on that, telling people not to do that, way to, to get into the hospital. Physicians in, in the ICU, in fact, one in particular noticed, he said, well, you know, everybody who put on a respirator does worse, and a high percentage of them are dying. And uh, so he, he separated his patients, and he just gave them high-flow oxygen. And he noticed they quit dying. They started recovering much faster and left the ICU and left the hospital. Uh, he was uh, told to leave the ICU. You can't practice here anymore. Wow. You've got to put them on a respirator. And then we found out that the government was paying people. The hospital was being they were paying the, the hospital $13,000. Yeah, to put, to put on a respirator and $12,000 if they put them in the ICU. And then for the first time, we had this unbelievable thing uh, where the physicians were told if a patient has any symptoms anywhere similar to COVID, when they die, you to put on their, their death certificate they died of COVID. Uh, if they had a PCR test within 28 days of their death, no matter what they died for, a car accident, shooting, murder, jumped off a building, you're to put on their death certificate as the primary cause COVID. Well, the purpose of this was to, to make the, the United States fearful because it was just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people uh, that we were told were dying of COVID. Uh, the people that were dying in the, in the beginning, 50% of all the deaths in the beginning were all in nursing homes, usually in people over 80 years of age who had multiple comorbid diseases. When we looked at Italy, the same thing was found. Uh, they finally did this study in Italy and they looked at, well, who's actually dying? It, the, the average death, over 90% of the deaths were in people over age 80 who had at least 2.5 comorbid diseases, serious diseases, and they were at the terminal point of their life. Now, when we look at the, well, people of that age and that for a, a frail condition, uh, a common cold has an 8% mortality, just about what the COVID is. Yeah, with the COVID, so I think it was 13% amongst the nursing yeah, homes. It population. Was so yeah. here's a common cold can kill these people very easily. Uh, this is why people die uh, in that age group of, of a, a mild flu, uh, because they're very frail. They're near the end of their life anyway. Uh, so uh, what you're, you, you were doctoring the statistics to scare the public. And so then they started these lockdowns. They started uh, masking. They started a six foot separation. Over time, we found out there was no scientific evidence for any of those. The six foot, they finally admitted, well, well we made that up. Uh, then the, the experts said, well, it's not spread by uh, the particles when you talk and speak. It's spread by an aerosol, which can travel 27 feet uh, and can fill a room. So, uh, and then they started looking at the aerosol and they said, well, gee, almost the viruses in the vi aerosol are dead. Uh, so then they, they go back. Well, now it's, it's fomites. It's things you touch uh, that are spreading. It. I know, so that's the, that's the new word I learned. Fomites. Yeah, they, couldn't, they couldn't keep their story straight. 
And then we need to wear a mask. Well, I did a, the first article ever written about the masks don't work and they're dangerous. Uh, and what I showed in this article, and I referenced it, was that uh, we had studied the mass, uh, trying to see if it would stop the flu transmission. All the studies consistently found no statistical evidence. And they had people even wearing the mask in their sleep. And they wore their mask at home. In other words, they wore the mask all the time. And they found no uh, statistically significant effectiveness. Uh, and and uh, then there was a study that looked at the, the types of masks. And they found, well, all the masks the virus can penetrate. Uh, even the N95, it can penetrate. Uh, so there was no scientific evidence for masking. Uh, there was no scientific evidence for the six-foot uh, separation. Yet they had most of the public believing this is science. This is the hard science. You need to put that mask on. Uh, well, one of the, the innovative doctors did a, did a nice demonstration. He used uh, uh, the vaping, and he put on every kind of mask, and he would inhale the vaping uh, uh, smoke and Mm -hmm. And he would exhale and go right through the mask, go out the sides, go up his face, and go down in front of his, his shirt. Uh, none of these masks, cloth masks, uh, any kind of mask you could choose, none of them were working. And, of course, anybody who was out in public and you watch people that have masks, they're constantly touching it. They don't put it on right. They got The sides are open, so the breath is blowing out of it. Uh, I, I mean, it became so ridiculous uh, you walk in a restaurant, you got to have a mask on. You sit at the table for an hour talking and laughing, and you can take your mask off. Yeah. And then when I, you, get, I, you walk out the door, you got to put your mask back on. I, know, I was, I was yeah. at a, uh, sadly, I was at a funeral uh, last week. And um, even now, you know, I, I'd say only about a quarter, maybe a third of the people in the sanctuary, um, and it was pretty tightly packed, um, were wearing masks. But a lot of them were. And, and young people, I mean, it was kind of age uh, agnostic. Uh, and then afterwards, there was a reception at a buffet and so forth downstairs. And so, I mean, people haven't really quite figured out a way to eat with the mask on. So all the masks disappeared. And they're, they're even more closely congregated because uh, they're talking over their coffee and, and uh, you know, muffins and whatnot. And and nobody's wearing a mask. And, and so how, how did how did this how did the masks upstairs help? Which, mind you, was in a large sanctuary with, you know, I don't know, 20 foot ceilings. And in the, the, the you know, kind of tighter quarters of the uh, function hall, uh, they weren't. Uh, no, no sense. Uh, and, 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 and everybody had a mask off, at least to eat. And, and, so, and mind you, you're in the soup anyway. So, I mean, I think if you're going to wear a mask, you should wear one like they wear in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is like a scuba gear. You know, like you, a bathosphere, you know, you've got basically covering and, and a mask that goes out, uh, you know, someplace else through an air filter, you know, but but the things that people are wearing, you know, if you if you could like literally swim underwater and not have the water touch your face with this mask, then fine. But but, um, you know, you're going to be breathing in and out. And the smoke one, I've seen that as well. And going people going outdoors, I, you know, I saw a lot of people in the in the we have cold weather up here. You know, in the winter, they're wearing this mask and, and you can see their the um, condensation of their breath and it's going right through and around and so forth. It's kind of an irrelevancy. It's all in the soup. Uh, you know, whatever's in the air is in the air. Well, you know, I, I did an extensive study on the mask. I wrote a long article, but in the end, I never published it. 
but I studied all the the, the uh, biomechanics of it, uh, all the studies that had been done. They had special uh, uh, apparatus made. It looked like a human head that, that had an open mouth, and they would have the person infected breathe into it, and it, would, it had a vacuum that would suck their breath into the, the mannequin and collect the virus. They found almost all the virus was dead. And they said, uh, in, in order to transmit the virus to, a, to another person you're speaking to, you're going to have to talk to them at least for five minutes. Well, who walks in a store and talks to everybody for five minutes in the store? You're just walking to go get what you want and you, you go pay for it. Yeah. So the, the whole thing was ridiculous. They knew it was ridiculous. When you look at states that had the most severe restrictions, their rates of infection and death and hospitalizations were no different than states that did. Yeah, sometimes worse, sometimes worse. I mean, you know, they did state by state. I mean, fortunately, we have the federalist system of differentiation with decrees by state. And, you know, North Dakota and South Dakota are almost identical ethnically by population size. So forth. and I forget which one I think was uh, uh, which one did better, worse. I think uh, was North Dakota put the mask on. So and, and they had, uh, you know, the, the one without the mask did better. Um, you know, our rates of Omicron uh, cases and whatnot went down when we relaxed you know, the mask mandates here um, earlier this year in the spring. Yeah, I'm totally with you on this. And it's been kind of a. Uh, you know, uh, kind of a monkey show to use in, in our new term of art. Um, you know, people just say things and they do things and they, they assume because they have a science degree that what they have just said is science. Yeah, none of it was science and they knew it. <clears throat> I mean, it's, you can't take these people to this level and, and that they're fool. They're not fool. They knew the mask didn't work. Even Fauci laughed at it at first and no, we need a mask. No, we need two masks. Uh, well, and then the cloth mask is very effective, and no cloth mask doesn't work. You need this N95 type mask. I mean, it, the, the story changed constantly. Nothing was consistent. Nothing was based on any science whatsoever. Uh, people started asking, well, where are the scientists? Why aren't they wading into this? Well, we found out uh, the reason why, and I explained it in the article in some detail. Uh, why aren't there autopsies being done? So we started asking these critical questions. Why weren't there any autopsies being done? Well, 140,000 people died before they did any autopsy. And then when they did them, there's just a handful. And they wouldn't even do complete autopsies. So are you talking about this article you, we, we, we've been mentioning? Is yeah, that, is that, update COVID, what's the truth article. Yeah. Uh, and it goes into this in detail. And so they were trying to tell the public, well, the reason they're not doing this is because the pathologists are afraid they'll contract COVID from the, the, the deceased person. And the pathologists began to write article after article published in peer-reviewed journals. That's a lie. We've been begging to do autopsies. Mm -hmm. We were told not to do them. And so you said... This is the best way to know about the pathophysiology of the virus and how best to treat it. And yet here's the authorities and the government and the public health telling them, don't do any autopsies. Now we have people dying in droves from the vaccine. And we have the same thing. We have so don't do any autopsies. Don't find out why they're dying. Uh, These the people are dying of myocarditis, pericarditis, uh, massive strokes. Uh, you know, in neurosurgery, we rarely saw a, 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 a superior sagittal sinus thrombosis or a transverse sinus thrombosis. They're having numerous of them in young people. You just didn't see that. I may have seen two or three in my entire career. Uh, now they're reported all over the place. 
and when they, the morticians are looking at the dead bodies, they say, we've never seen clots like this. So mm -hmm. all the vessels are filled with clots. We can't even inject the embalming fluid until we remove those clots. And when they look at the clots pathologically, they say, this is like nothing we've ever seen. And well, now we know because the, the uh, pharmaceutical company, Pfizer, lied about the vaccine and what they were lying about. They said, well, with this new technology, we inject it into your arm and it stays right there. And that's what's stimulating your immune system to fight this virus because it's producing spike protein. And what they found is, no, you hit a study and it was released by a court order. And the study said, no, that spike protein in the nanolipid carrier goes all over the whole body, mm. within every organ, at very high concentrations in the female ovary and very high concentrations in the bone marrow and spleen. goes to the liver, the heart, the brain. Uh, so they had lied. The vessels are filled with the spike protein. Right. Now, this nanolipid carrier holds the uh, messenger RNA and protects it from being destroyed by your body. So it's producing massive amounts of this spike protein. Well, the spike yeah. protein is a toxic part of the, the virus. And so the vessel, this spike protein is attaching to the wall of the vessel, producing an inflammatory response and triggering uh, thrombosis. So that's why these people are developing strokes. We've never seen so many strokes in young people. So yeah. let me ask you, did you not get vaccinated? No. So Dr. Malone, uh, I, I was on a kind of a Zoom lecture uh, with him and I got to ask him uh, this and, and he had had the illness uh, early on in, uh, you know, in COVID-19 era in 2020. Um, and then he went ahead and got the vaccine <laughs> and he got ill from the vaccine. Um, and I asked him, you know, had he ever taken a vaccine after an illness for which the vaccine was, you know, labeled? And he said no. And I asked him why he had done that one. And, um, you know, I mean, I guess it's, you know, kind of the social pressure and whatnot. Um, but, you know, I, I, I admire your um, um, keeping queuing to principles and so forth. How, how has that uh, kind of gone for you? Um, but actually, I don't want to so much. I mean, you can answer that, but I'd kind of like to stick on, on the article a little bit because um, it is comprehensive. It's obviously a long piece, as I I've shown people here. Uh, what are the, the key points for today? Uh, what was the, the kind of response and what, what have you learned from writing this? And what's your you have an update on the article as well. Maybe you could just touch on that at, uh, in our last kind of 10, 12 minutes. Yeah, I wrote an update just because of the, of the, uh, it sort of surprised me the response to this. I expect to get a lot of, of uh, uh, feedback that was negative. But what I got, uh, I've got emails from all over the world. Uh, praising the article, saying this is the first time we've seen all this put together in one article that made sense, that it was clear, it was understandable. We understand why this vaccine is dangerous. We understand why this, this virus and this so-called pandemic was handled different than any in the, in the history of the world, and unprecedented things were done. Doctors' license were taken away if they criticized uh, the treatment of the vaccine or had any questions about the official uh, a story that was being given by the government. They were removed from their hospital. Uh, these things are unprecedented. The, the, the uh, hospital administrator has no business of telling its physicians how to practice medicine. But they were told you can't give ivermectin. And if you try to give it, we'll remove you from the hospital. And we have I know that's a, that's, a, that's a craziness. You know, HIV uh, still uh, has no vaccine. 
Um, and if we were waiting, uh, at, you know, abjuring uh, medical treatment for HIV, waiting for the vaccine, it would be, you know, what, 40 years now, and people would be uh, dying by droves. Um, you know, clearly, treatment works for HIV. Let's just stick with HIV. Uh, there's no vaccine. Uh, we don't know if it will work or it won't. Uh, if people waited for the vaccine for HIV, they'd be dead, 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 um, and so forth. Um, so we have the, the H and, and Dr. Fauci was actually front and center with that. I think he actually did push, you know, waiting for the vaccine early on. I have to corroborate that, but I, it's something I heard. So I, I'm not absolutely sure of that, but clearly it's an absurdity until a vaccine comes along. And in the case of HIV, HIV, you want to get treatment and you can try the treatments. Not everything worked to the same extent. It seems seemingly, you know, we have a lot of uh, antiretrovirals, which are reasonable, um, at least keeping people up and around on the uh, right side of, um, of AIDS, as it were, even though they have HIV. Um, so the absurdity in this case, you know, taking of, of, of avoiding uh, an off patent, um, reasonable medication, uh, inexpensive and available worldwide with the potential at the very least, whether it's, it's proved accurate or not, with at least the potential of benefit is, is, is I think that's crass, uh, unmedical, um, possibly criminal and so forth. You know, ultimately, whether it, it is as good as some other medications, I mean, it remains to be seen. But but to take it off the table when it was basically free and available in the absence of any vaccine, I think that's absurd. I, has anyone ever explained that? No. And, and this was, to me, a criminal activity. Uh, and uh, uh, McCullough and, and, and others had written a, a very good study showing that in their group of patients, and we're talking about thousands of COVID patients, uh, they cut the mortality by 75% and hospitalizations by 80%. Uh, so why would you uh, uh, stop a treatment that has that profound effect on cutting mortality unless you have something else in mind like a vaccine and they don't want a, a treatment because you can't get emergency use authorization of an experimental vaccine if there's an alternative treatment. And there were alternative treatments. Uh, Dr. Zelensky, uh, who recently died, he had treated the largest number of COVID patients of anyone, and he had almost no death. Very few people needed any hospitalization. Almost everybody recovered outside yeah, of the and it, became, it became like, uh, you know, Soviet Samizdat, where it only could be passed around. You couldn't find it. Uh, and all the things you're talking about, you know, people's, you know, physicians' licenses being threatened or, or withdrawn and so forth. For, for using uh, something that, you know, is was standard medication for other illnesses. I mean, I think the, the inventor of Iver ivermectin got the Nobel Prize, and it was never called horse dewormer for its other things. And I, I've, I've searched the literature. I used the Google time filter, you know, put it before 2019. And ivermectin was touted as an antiviral and had anti-lysosomal properties and so forth. And and again, I'm not ready to, to announce it's a perfect cure for COVID. I think the studies are difficult in the in the presence of an active uh, pandemic. I mean, I like double-blinded, randomized controlled studies. I don't think they've been done with ivermectin or pretty much any treatment. Um, but not notwithstanding, even if it's no worse than aspirin or something like that, why wouldn't you try it in the in the in the in the absence of a vaccine? That that is as is, is horrible. And H HCQ, ditto. I don't necessarily have a, a you know horse in that race, but 
you know, but, but, but shouting it down and, and, uh, you know, making bad jokes and insults and so forth, that was anti, you know, counterproductive. And that's totally against the general public health, even though these people consider themselves public health officials. Well, it went further than that because you, here, if, if the family said, well, we want our loved one to get ivermectin and the doctor agrees, I think, it, you know, I've looked at the research and there are randomized uh, studies that were done that showed its effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And they want to do it. They both agree, the family and the doctor. Well, that's how medicine is supposed to work. It steps the administrator of the hospital and says, no, if you give ivermectin, you will leave the hospital and lose your privileges. Yeah. And then the, the, the board, the, the medical board will say, and if you do that, we'll take your license away. So here the physician no longer has a, a, a profession and the patient dies in the hospital because they're giving a dangerous medication, yeah. remdesivir which we knew did not work. And we knew it had a high mortality rate, destroyed the kidneys, destroyed the lungs and damaged the liver. Yeah. I mean, the only difference seems to be that that those are under, under uh, patent and that they are highly expensive and so forth. I mean, it's just a deadly deadly, uh, medication. I knew what Paxlovid is, is Paxlovid uh, pronouncing it correctly. Is that related? And, And what are your thoughts about that one? I, I don't know a lot about that one, but right. I think it's, it is related and has a, a high complication rate. Right. Uh, they were even trying to get approval to use remdesivir in, in children and babies. Right. That's, that's criminal. So, you know, so we, we only have about five minutes left. Um, one side note that I just reminded myself of was kind of this monoclonal antibody treatment. And, and in, in regard to the, to the vaccine, um, they would phase in and out the uh, monoclonal antibodies because the, the variant strains changed from the ancestral to then the succeeding Greek letters, you know, skipping a few, but alpha, beta, you know, delta and so forth. Um, and now we're in Omicron uh, and Omicron strains, whatever. But, but they would have the monoclonal antibody treatment for alpha. And then when delta came along, they, they phased out that one. They brought in a delta one. When delta disappeared, they got rid of that one. So, so they had some concept that, that the, monoclonal antibodies would only be for that variant strain. Yet at the same time, the, the purpose of vaccine is to produce those same monoclonal antibodies, but within you, using you instead of injecting them. And, and yet we did not update the vaccine antibody, you know, the, 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 the spike protein to, to keep up with what the monoclonal antibodies were. There was phased in and phased out. And, and yet we kept the vaccine and called it a booster when clearly it was not. If, if that were the case, then the monoclonal antibodies would never be changed. It would be, you just be using the original ancestral one. I don't know if I made that point clearly. Well, I think the important thing is that this, this vaccine that they were requiring everybody to get at their place of work was for a virus that no longer existed. Exactly. And no one was saying that. This, and and, this and, calling, it a bo- and calling it a booster. It was not for an existing virus. That virus disappeared and it mutated into a new one. And then they looked at that and said, well, it has no effectiveness whatsoever on the new one. Well, why did I lose my job? Because I refused to take a vaccine that's for no virus that exists. And no one was asking that question. Yet uh, people by the thousands were losing their their, their occupations, businesses were closing, all kinds of things. Uh, But as far as these mutations, uh, 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 Gert Vossi, who's an expert, one of the top world experts on, on uh, vaccines and viruses, has shown 
the more you vaccinate, the more these uh, uh, variants you're going to have and the more uh, deadly they're going to become. Right. I mean, it's a, I think there's an analogy to like giving, an, an, giving widespread antibiotics to cattle. You basically kind of get a resistance because you're, it's not just you. You have a, 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 a conf- confrontation with another organism. But I'm going to give you the last couple minutes. So maybe uh, if you have some closing statements um, and, uh, it, you know, advice for our audience and uh, the stage is yours for the last few minutes. Well, my view is that, that these people need to be held accountable. We need some some extensive uh, lawsuits filed against everyone who mandated this vaccine, this experimental vaccine. We need lawsuits against the FDA, the CDC, uh, everybody who is involved in, in this charade, this fraud that has cost thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives, has destroyed people's lives over 400,000 people are severely and permanently damaged by this vaccine in the United States alone. They need to have justice done. These people need to answer for what they've done. And we need a shakeup of the FDA. Uh, Separate them completely from the pharmaceutical company. 75% of all their funds come from pharmaceutical company. Now, how can they regulate drugs and vaccines when 75% of their their, uh, funds come from the pharmaceutical company? Same for the CDC, same for Fauci. Fauci was pushing medications and uh, uh, injections that he he profited from. Uh, I don't profit from anything. Dr. Malone's not getting any profit. None of us that are trying to tell the truth are getting any uh, remunerative rewards from any of this. Yet we're treated like, uh, well, why are you saying this? Because it's the truth. That's why I'm saying it. And I'm not just going to sit still and watch you destroy human beings' lives down to little babies and say nothing when I know what's going on and the others know what this means and that we have to stop it before they produce a disaster that's it's beyond human comprehension. Uh, this pandemic was uh, never uh, reached the, the criteria for a pandemic. They changed the criteria to make it a pandemic. They knew that. So uh, the level of this, uh, this fraud that's gone on and the lives that have been lost because of it, uh, we can't just sit still and let them do it because what's next? What are they going to do the next time? This monkeypox thing is total force. Uh, you don't uh, have an international a public health emergency for a, a venereal disease. It's ridiculous. <clears throat> and, and the public needs to start listening to us. Uh, if we're wrong, good, prove we're wrong. I put yeah. the challenge out. Anything in my article that you say is wrong, come forward and prove it. I've had no one come forward. Out of all the responses I've got, from, I've only had two people with a negative response, and it was nothing but foul language and screaming and stamping their feet. Not one fact, not one article, not one proof that I was wrong. So th- that should tell you something. This pharmaceutical company has covered this up for uh, they went to the court and said, we want the, the safety information covered up for 75 years. Yeah. Why would they do that? Whatever, what explanation could you give that this, this phony safety study they did, they wanted to cover up 75 years. They yeah. only did two months safety study. This is a brand new technology. They're supposed to study it for 10 years before they release. This, the, even the FDA said you should study it for two years. The pharmaceutical companies refused. Now, people need to answer for that. 
I agree. So I'm going to end it there. I'm very much in your honor. You can stay on. We'll chat a little bit, but I want to say goodbye to our audience. Uh, I, as you can see, Dr. Blaylock is a, an amazing uh, orator as well as a researcher. Uh, please feel free to contact him. You can look at the article and uh, let us know what you think of this. And please pose your questions here and politely. So thank you so much. Uh, nice to see you. Thank you.